It's really uh, good to be with all of you. I love your church, and I don't know if you realize this, but how many uh, churches and leaders around the country look to Bethany and uh, to Matt for uh, how you do things and how you're influencing your community, and uh, you have a phenomenal young leader. We're so excited about uh, what you're doing, and I love the chance that you have to influence so many other churches around the country. And here's the deal. Most of us don't know that. Like, we show up at church, we have no idea that that's going on. And so, blessings and kudos to you all for the way uh, that you do life here. Uh, it's, it really is good to be here. My wife uh, is family's from Lawrenceville, uh, so not too far from here. So we have some connection. I, I'm from New York, the walk the dog in a pot of a core, break your arm kind of stuff. But, uh, and so I'm enjoying the cornfields. But, they, you know, and, and, and being from Colorado, I do need to say thank you. Uh, I feel like an obligation to say thank you for giving us Peyton uh, Manning. It worked out, worked out really well for us, not so much for you. So uh, we are grateful for that. You know, here's what I know is true. When we gather like this, um, when we gather in this place, we're not all in the same place. Some of you have had a phenomenal week. You just, your week couldn't have been better. And some of you, uh, it was all you could do uh, this morning to... Uh, uh, get yourself up and out the door. And, and so whatever you have going on, whatever's been happening, I just want to pray uh, that God would speak into our lives, that he would uh, speak to the needs we have, and uh, that we'd open our hearts. And would you just take a moment and uh, pray with me? Uh, Father, we thank you for the privilege we have to gather here in this place. And Lord, you know our stuff. You know the things right now that I'm anxious about, that I'm stressed over, and uh, things that keep us awake at night. And Father, I just pray that you would speak into our lives. And Lord, help me set those things aside just for a moment and to keep my heart and my ears open uh, to you. And so, Father, whether we've had a phenomenal week or a really difficult week, uh, I'm grateful that we gather here together and we get reminded of your love for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Not long after uh, Dinah and I were married, we were living in Syracuse, New York, and uh, we moved in January to Fort Myers, Florida, which is like a phenomenal move to go from upstate New York in the winter uh, down to Florida. And, uh, and we were there for five years at a church, and then I started to work for Cincinnati Christian University, and, uh, but I didn't move there, I commuted. I flew out on Sunday nights and uh, back on Thursday nights to Florida. And um, in those times, uh, I was flying as cheap as I could for the school's benefit. And I was flying on an airline called uh, Florida Express. They used to run up and down the east coast of Florida. And they were like the Walmart of airlines. I mean, if it could have gotten any cheaper, uh, I'm not sure how. And I fly a lot. I travel a bunch. I'm not one of those nervous flyers. Oftentimes, I'm not really paying attention. And, and uh, so we're on the plane one Sunday night. It's late at night. And uh, we start off down the runway, and we don't go very far when the pilot backs uh, the engines down, and then he sits and he starts revving them up and down, up and down, up and down, and, and then he rolls all the way to the end of the runway. It was late at night, there was no weather, no traffic, and uh, uh, he turns the plane around, and we start going the other direction. Like, maybe it's downhill. Everybody on the plane was leaning forward, like somehow that was going to help us, and and uh, this time we're halfway down the runway, getting to a fair amount of speed when he backs off the engines, hits the brakes, and we shudder to a stop. Now, at this point, everybody on the plane is paying attention, right? Everybody's nervous. And uh, there was a lady seated next to me who had never flown before. She was 80-some years old. She was going back to Dayton, Ohio to visit family, and this was her very first flight. But she was the only person, I think, on the plane not nervous because 
You know, she was probably wondering, you know, I bet they just warm this puppy up a few times before they finally take it off. So finally the pilot came on and he said, folks, we're going to go back into the terminal uh, and change aircraft because we have a problem with the plane. Like, well, hello. And then he said this, we're going back because it's our policy at Florida Express. If there's something wrong with the plane, we don't fly. <laughs> That's a great policy for an airline, don't you think? You know, safety first is a marvelous motto for an airline, but it's terrible to live by, isn't it? I mean, all of us, actually, almost every day are invited to take some risk. We take some risk when uh, we head off to school. We take some risk when we head off to work. We have relationship risk. We have new venture risk. We, we have risks that go on uh, in, in our friendships. There is a lot of times when we are invited to move outside of our comfort zone, outside of what we get familiar with. And I think faith is a risky thing. I love those words of Jesus. You shall know the truth, and the truth will do what? Set you free. And it's true, it does. But first, it kind of messes with you. <laughs> when we get confronted with our own reality, when we get confronted that there's these God's big, big T truths that kind of collide with all the little T truths that I've been living with. At LifeBridge, we say it this way. We want to be a safe place for people to hear a dangerous or risky message. Because I think when we get invited into faith, when we hear about God's goodness and grace, that it means I'm going to move out of what's become familiar to me. I want to look at a story Jesus tells that invites us to some risk, to move outside of what's comfortable for me. It's found in Luke chapter 10. It'll be a familiar story to you. It's a story that gets followed on uh, that comes from a question. Luke chapter 10. Let me start down in verse 25. Here's what... Uh, happens on one occasion an expert in the law stood up to test jesus teacher he asked what must i do to inherit eternal life you know that's a big deal question people have been asking that question uh from the dawn of time uh, what happens to me when i die what happens uh is there something bigger than me out there i want to know how i get eternal life What's written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? And the man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now this man would have known this law. It's the Shema. It was, it was what they would have learned from the time he was a toddler. He would have learned those words. Love God with all, all you have and love your neighbor as yourself. There's another place in Scripture where uh, Jesus has asked this same question. What's the greatest commandment? Because there was an agreement uh, in that day about what the greatest command would be. And Jesus answered with the same answer. Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And I love uh, those words. The challenge of those words. But there's some risk. There's some risk if you and I are going to get better at the two things that Jesus said mattered most. Love God and love your neighbor. Now, I didn't grow up in the church. Our, our family, uh, I was the first Christian in our family uh, that went back way back, several uh, generations. And uh, if we went to church, it was maybe on Christmas and Easter, but rarely then. And, and um, I, I remember when the pastor from a little church uh, down the street from us would, would come knocking on doors. And, and he'd get to our house and he'd knock on the door and my dad would say, shh, everyone quiet. He'd sit there, you know, I thought we were playing a game. Found out we kind of actually were playing a game. And then when I was in high school, I got invited to go uh, to a retreat with this church. And 
And my parents were like, man, dude, we can get him out of the house for the weekend. It's awesome. And so, so I went on this retreat, and it was the very first time, the very first time that I heard there was a God who loved me. Loved me. With all my warts, wounds, and wobbles, he loved me. Loved me in spite of me. Love me, not dependent on me. You know, every other kind of love we experience, most of the love we experience in life is conditional, isn't it? It's love based on something, something you did or didn't do, something that you accomplished or, or some way that you performed. I'll love you if, I'll love you when, I'll love you but. It always has a comma in it. And God's love is an I love you, period. There is nothing you're going to do today that's going to make God love you more. And there is absolutely nothing you're going to do today that's going to make God love you less. He loves you. And if you don't ever hear anything else, hear that message. There is a God who loves you, cares for you. And I remember when I first heard that message, and I thought, man, that was awesome. Now I'm a bit of a skeptic, and it took me a while to plow down through evidence stuff and, and dig and come to faith. But when I did, it, I, I was uh, blown away by the grace of God. His grace that changed my life and changed the trajectory of my life. And then my parents became Christians and my sister became a Christian. I was so grateful for that because she was killed in a car accident with a drunk driver when she was a senior in high school. And we had hope as a family. And I got to baptize my grandparents and, and, um, and some aunts and uncles and cousins. And I love what grace has done in our lives. I'm so thankful for that. And so when the invitation for me is to love God with everything I have, with all my heart and soul and mind and strength, with, with my intellect, with my emotions, with my weaknesses, with my strength, to love God with all I have, of course, he loves me. I want to love him back. And I do love God. And I'm grateful for God. But I also love some other things, don't you? I love my wife, Diane, and, and uh, I love our three kids, and I love my three in-law kids, and... Uh, I love my seven grandkids. I really love my seven. I'm glad I didn't kill my kids when they were growing up. I love, <laughs> really love them. I, I love Italian food. I, I think it's its own food group. I love Italian food. I, I love the Buffalo Bills. I'm, I'm from New York. I love the Bills, which is painful. It's like loving the Colts. So. <laughs> you know what Colts stand for, don't you? Count on losing this Sunday. And that's what <laughs> But you know what bills stand for? Boy, I love losing Super Bowls. So we got the same issue that you got. I love, I, I love Oreo cookies. I really do. I love Oreo. Sometimes, sometimes I love Oreo cookies more than I love God. Whatever your bag of Oreos happens to be. You know that thing. Maybe it's something, a good thing. It's a relationship. It's a job. It's some venture. Maybe it's even some ministry thing you're doing that gets ahead of loving God. You love it actually a little more than you love God. Actually, loving God with all I have is a challenge. It's hard. It means I've got to do what doesn't come always easy or naturally or is comfortable for me. And then it gets ramped up. And then love your neighbor as yourself. It's hard enough to love God. Love your neighbor? I don't even, I don't even like my neighbors. I mean, no, I, I know, I know, I know how we do all this, right? You know, oh yeah, I, uh, I love people. 
Hey, I love everybody, you know, all the children of the world. Uh, I get it. You know, I get that whole that. But specifically, like the guy across the hall from me at work or that person that sits next to me in school or like the one sitting next to me right now, love them? Man, that's hard. That's hard work. That's not easy. That's risky, actually. And then this expert in the law, the attorney, so to speak, wants to know the fine print in the contract, and he says, well, who actually is my neighbor? Is it everybody that lives in, around me in my cul-de-sacs, everybody in my zip code? Who, who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells a story. And you would, whether you've ever been to church before or not, would know this story. It's the story of the Good Samaritan, someone who does something on the benefit of somebody else. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. That road, uh, Adullam, was called the Road of Blood. It was only a few miles, but it was a dangerous road in Jesus' day. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him. They went away. They left him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite. A Levite was like an expert in the law, small group leader, someone who really understood the scriptures. A Levite, when he saw the man, he came to the place and passed by on the other side. Here he got the two... Like the two religious people, the two God guys, the ones who knew the command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. I mean, these were the ones who had the corner market on God. How is it possible that they didn't stop and help this guy? When I first started reading the Bible, this was one of those places where I'm going, man, you know, these, these guys weren't easy. This is like, what, what's up with them? Until I realized they were probably asking a question that I know I've asked a million times and I know our church asked it for a long time before we started shifting gears. And that's this, well, what's going to happen to me if I stop and help this guy? <laughs> Maybe I'll get beat up. Maybe I'll be t my stuff will be stolen. Maybe I'll be abused in some way. Maybe I'll get hurt. Maybe I'll be left on the road half dead, naked and bleeding. Maybe, maybe they were actually on a tight schedule. They were going to talk to some people about loving God and loving their neighbor. And they couldn't get disrupted with this thing. What we know is they see this guy and they step around him. And then Jesus goes on with the story. But a Samaritan, I remember here, Jesus kind of this ironic twist of the knife because Jews and Samaritans, they hated each other. We have a lot of strife socially and racially today and in and, and a lot of faith ways also. And, but in those days it was just as hot, if not hotter. If you were uh, in the marketplace and you were a Jewish person and a Samaritan walked by you and their shadow hit the groceries you were carrying, you would drop them in the street and walk away. They hated each other. So Jesus, talking to a primarily Jewish audience here, says a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him, he bandaged his wounds, poured on oil and wine, he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn, took care of him, took out some money, gave it to the innkeeper, and then he said, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law said, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do the same. And the Samaritan asked a different question. And his question was, what's going to happen to this guy if I don't stop and help? And it's a shift, and there's some risk involved in that. What would happen if we got better at the two things Jesus said matter most? Love God, and let that show up in how you love the people around you. 
You know, the Samaritan did five things. I want to look at them pretty quickly that I think can be helpful to us. They're risky things. They're not necessarily easy things. They're things I ignored for a long time. But they are things that will help us be a better neighbor. Verse 33. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He saw the man. You know, I was amazed in my life um, how often I just didn't see people. Like I just looked right through them, didn't see them, passed by them. Or worse, saw people and placed them somewhere, judged them somehow, labeled them in some way, set them up on a shelf in, in how I viewed them. What would happen if we'd open our eyes and actually see the people around us? What would happen if we saw our neighbors, the ones next door to us, or the people at work? Or what would happen if you and I kept our eyes open? Because not every half-dead, naked, bleeding person is laying on the side of a road somewhere. What happens when we open our eyes? As a church, uh, back in the early 90s, we started asking a question. If our church disappeared, would anybody in our community care? Now, they might miss our Christmas stuff and some of our kids' things we were doing, but would they really, were we enough of the fabric of the community that they would care? And so it caused us to start looking for needs and investing in. And I was amazed at the opportunities that existed for us to get engaged uh, in our city. One of our staff members was reading a devotional book to his girls, and, and they got to a place where they were uh, invited in the devotional book to pray for widows and orphans. And he said, we knew widows. We had widows in the church. We had some widows in our family. But he said, we didn't know any orphans. I mean, after all, the orphans lived like in Haiti or Ukraine, some other part of the world. But he said in that journey, as they were praying about it, it led them to uh, get connected to some people that were doing foster uh, parenting, which invited them to do some uh, foster parenting. And after a while, he came to me and he said, you know, I think our church should maybe think about this. Now, we live in, uh, near Boulder, Colorado, Boulder County. Boulder got voted uh, the last three years as the least religious county in America. Boulder itself is 20 square miles surrounded by reality. We got like every fruit and nut possible thing you can have out there. And, uh, and, that, and then we like made pot legal, which just like accelerated all the fruit and nut stuff out there. And, and uh, pretty spiritual, but anything but church. We call them ABC people, anything but church. And so we went to the head of Child Protective Services in Boulder County, and we asked if there was a way our church could help out with fostering. And she said, man, you know, I appreciate you asking, but I don't know of anything really the church could do. But one of her assistants said... What if we host one of our recruitment uh, seminars at their location? Would you guys be willing to do that? And so we did. And that led to us doing that several times, which led to us getting involved, which led to us recruiting families, which led to us uh, getting uh, really engaged in the fostering issue uh, in our county. And um, three years after that first meeting, she stood up among her peers um, around Christmas time, they're having a, a state uh, meeting, and she said, we just had something happen in Boulder uh, that we've not had happen in our 75-year history. She said, we have more kids waiting, uh, more families waiting for a child than we have child waiting for a family. And, and it was all because someone said, what would happen if we'd actually just open our eyes? And then it went further for us. Uh, we recognized that there were a lot of kids in the foster system who were aging out. When a child turns 18 um, and they're free to go around, if they don't have a forever family, if they don't have a, an adoptive connection or at least a permanent uh, connection uh, to a family, over 85% end up homeless, addicted, trafficked, um, or in prison or some combination of those things. 
And so we said, what if we could help out with that? And so we started telling these kids stories. We'd video them, and, and we'd go to churches, and we'd go to community groups and businesses, and we'd share these stories. And uh, in a period of time, there were over 11, 12, almost 1,200 uh, kids who were eligible for adoption in the state of Colorado. They were totally uh, freed from their parents for a whole bunch of issues. They were eligible for adoption, and uh, no one was adopting them. And over a several-year period, we were able to take that number from 1,200 uh, down to under 200. And uh, because there's always kids coming into that, um, it's hard to get below that number. Do you know the state of Indiana has uh, one of the more significant foster uh, issues in the whole country? What would happen... If we would open our eyes. And so that started, and now 22 states have asked our church to come and help them do this uh, uh, adoption uh, opportunity so that kids can get placed in a home. And it all happens when you and I open our eyes. Here's the second thing this guy did, verse 34. He went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He got his hands dirty. Because if you and I are going to be good neighbors, if we're going to get involved in our community, if we're going to be engaged with, with the people around us that, that we uh, live around and near and work with and go to school with, uh, it's going to get messy because we're kind of messy people. I mean, we are messy. I, I know we do a good job. We walk in here this morning and most of us got kind of cleaned up, right? You, never look, you got your smile on, you know. But I know. I know that you got up this morning and you fought all the way here. And you get in your parking lot and you're and you get out of the car. Hi. How you doing? We're doing great. And you're gonna get back in your car. You know, and some of you, some of you did some stuff this week that you don't feel so good about. Some of you made some choices that you wish you could unwind the clock on. Some of you gave in to some stuff that you said, man, I'd never do that. Some of us lied. Some of us cheated. And we are messy people. And if we're going to get engaged, loving God and loving our neighbor, it's going to get a little messy. And i got to be honest, I don't really like all that. I'm a bit of a germaphobe. I went and used your restroom a little bit ago, and I was like in there for 12 minutes waiting for somebody to come back in because you got to grab the handle in this bathroom to get out. I ain't touching that sucker, man. I ain't going there. And some of you after church, you're, you're going to want to shake hands. You know, Matt and I watch this, right? You're, you come walking up to us. <laughs> yeah, I ain't going there either, all right? And if I'd have had to help this guy laying on the road, like do CPR, would have been like this. <laughs> You know, I, I just don't want to get that close. I'm just not. But the reality is messy. We're going to get involved in the lives of people. We're going to get our hands dirty. Here's the third thing that happened. Man put the man on his own donkey, and he took him to an inn, and he took care of him. My guess is he didn't get up that morning and say, you know, honey, I got to go down to Jericho, and, and uh, I want you to pray I find somebody laying on the road half dead, naked, and bleeding. This was inconvenient for him. He didn't have a little trailer behind his donkey that said, this is the helping half dead, naked, bleeding people laying on the side of the road, 501c3 ministry, please give me money. He was going to work. He was doing what you and I are going to be doing the rest of the day, today and tomorrow. And then there's going to be this opportunity. There's going to be this intersection that happens. And we get to make a choice there. And it is never convenient. And here's what I've learned. The stuff that is good for me, good for me, is rarely convenient for me. 
Both my parents have had some heart issues, uh, and my doctor, you know, has been encouraging me to be smarter about eating better and exercising more, two things I don't really want to do. I mean, I, you know, I've tried, you know, you know, you get the kale salad. Ever had somebody like go to their house and say, oh, this is kale, and it doesn't taste like it? Well, why serve it, actually, technically? <laughs> if, it, if you have to, like, put bacon stuff on it to make it good, why even mess with the stuff? I'd rather just, like, have donuts. I, if donuts were a drug, I'd be on a corner somewhere, really. I, <laughs> I love donuts, and, and, and so for three years, I've not had a donut, and about three or four months ago, I was driving uh, through Longmont, and there's a Winchell's Donut store, and I was praying, God, if you want me to have a donut today, <laughs> let there be a parking place right in front of the store, right in front of the store, not a block away, right in front of the store, I'll take that as a sign, and you're not going to believe this, my fifth time around the block, <laughs> boom, right there was awesome. Thank you, God. <laughs> and the whole exercise thing, you know, I've been trying to jog, and I just don't like it. And my running friends say to me, oh, just wait. The endorphins will kick in. There's going to be a day when you're going to love it. It's been like five years. I, I don't. I hate it. I don't want to do it. I'll go running with my wife sometimes. She's all like perky and smiling, and she wants to talk. I can't breathe, right? <laughs> my idea of exercise is to fill the tub with hot water, Pull the drain and fight the current. That, that's my idea of exercise. You know, the stuff that's good for me isn't what I always want to do. Love God and love my neighbor. Fourth thing is kind of implied. He took him to an inn. He took care of him. I think the guy befriended him on the way. I bet he got to know his name, heard his story. Here's what I've discovered. People want your friendship more than they want anything else, particularly people who feel somehow disenfranchised. We had a guy show up in our lobby uh, uh, one Thursday morning and said he needed help. And we have a pastor of the day thing we do. And so uh, one of our pastors was meeting with him. And he said, I'm, I'm uh, 54 years old. I'm afraid I'm going to die before I know what it's like for someone to really love me. And I have no idea why I'm here. But I think this is my last stop. And his story was that uh, from the time he could remember as a toddler until he left home at the age of 11, the sexual and physical and emotional abuse he'd experienced was horrific. And he was angry. He said, I've been homeless most of my life. I've been addicted since at least my teen years. And, and I don't know why God did this to me. And he was mad at God, and he was mad at the church, and we're not sure why he showed up, but he came back again the next day, and then we had lunch with him, and came back the next day, and then we helped find him a job, and, and about every four days we were finding him a job because he had anger issues, and, and he'd show up drunk sometimes to work, and finally we just hired him at the church. It was easier than going out and looking for him for a job, and... And he needed a place to live, and so uh, we had him in someone's home for a while, and that didn't work out so well. And then we found uh, someone donated a trailer to us, and we parked it up behind our church building, and, and Paul was there a lot, and I tried to get him to come to church. I'd come out of my office sometimes late at night, and we would stand in the parking lot and talk for hours. He was brilliant. He was bright. And he had a lot of questions, but he, but he didn't want anything to do with God, and he really didn't figure out, he didn't want anything to do with Christians, but somehow we kept connecting him. I'd say, why don't you come to church? And no, I'm not going there. I, I'm not, I don't need that. I don't want that. And then one Saturday night, I watched him walk in the back of our first service. He stood in the back, and I knew he'd had a little liquid courage to get in the room in the beginning. And, and he came uh, all the way down to the front, just stood down and glared at me, which I'm kind of used to, you know. I mean, we like some of you, and 
Then he turned around and he flipped the church off and walked out the doors. <laughs> he had no idea how many times I kind of wanted to do that, but, you know, <laughs> that's just a, that's a, different, that's a different story, really. And he started showing up more. He started showing up more. And, and then there was that day when I watched Paul give his life to Christ, come out of that baptistry. All the stuff didn't go away. All his pain didn't disappear. All the agony and hurt, some of, some of the things he'd been challenged and struggled with didn't immediately go away. But, man, there was a different guy, and he's my friend. He used to gather with us on Sunday morning before uh, church when our staff uh, met to pray for the services, and, uh, and he didn't show up that morning. And when we were done praying, I walked out uh, back door to where, where, he, where his trailer was, and Paul had passed away overnight but he found a place he found some people who cared for him and here was the deal he was a way better friend to me than I ever was to him and I got more out of our friendship than he got well here's the fifth thing this guy did Next day, he took out two silver coins and gave money to the innkeeper. You know, some of the first thing that I used to do was write a check. Someone tell me about a need or an issue. I'd hear something in our city. Our church would write a check. We'd get involved. And then we made a decision, made it as a family, made it as a church, that we weren't going to give money unless we also got our hands involved, got engaged. Because it was too easy to write the check and feel good about it. Uh, church needs money. The things in your city need money. And I'm grateful for the ways you plow in, but I also am grateful that you follow it with your heart. You follow it with your hands. You get engaged. Well, there's really one other thing this guy did, and I think it's the best thing he did. He sees this guy, and he got off his donkey, and he helped him. Wouldn't it be awesome? Wouldn't it be awesome if, if the church in America, if right here at Bethany, wouldn't it be awesome if just you personally, if you'd get off your donkey? Because there is huge opportunity. Big deal needs. And sometimes they're just right next door. What would happen if we would love God and love our neighbor? My parents uh, both grew up in pretty dysfunctional families. Um, and and uh, when we, we watch just all the stuff that uh, has gone on, my dad had moved 14 times by the time he was in eighth grade. And, uh, and so he quit school. And when he got married, he was 19, and he said, you know, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to try to. So he went to work at Bristol-Myers Pharmaceutical Company, sweeping floors because he didn't have any education, worked his way up through the years in the middle management, stayed there over 35 years. And he wanted to provide a different, and he did for me and my sister, uh, way different uh, growing up than what he'd experienced. And so my dad was taking early retirement, and I called my mom. I said, hey, I'm going to fly home from Colorado. Don't tell dad I'm coming, and make sure we get to pick him up uh, that day for work. And so she drove him to work that day, told him she needed, I don't know why, what, what reason she made up. So my dad's coming out of his office, and he's got his box of stuff, and he doesn't know I'm going to be there. And I watch him come across the parking lot, and then he had to come through a security gate. And as he's coming through the security gate, I, I started clapping. He looked up to see who the idiot was, saw it was me, and... And uh, we had a great couple of days together, and then I flew back home. And a few weeks later, I got this thank you card from my dad. And uh, he, he says some really nice stuff, how proud he was, and what a great memory, something he'll cherish forever, and surprised by that. And then he, then he um, ended this way. Someday, when this life is over for me here on earth, maybe God will let me stand at the gate and applaud you on your last day of work. 
and to welcome you home. Here's the deal. You and I may never hear from the people we think we need to hear from. Thank you. We may never get the applause we think we deserve. But if we love God and we love our neighbor, on the day we draw our last breath, because of the grace of God, the Father of the universe is going to be standing at the gate and saying to you, well done.